There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, home of the modern whitetail hunter. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and today on the show, I'm joined by Greg Godfrey to discuss all the different things we can be doing, whether it be gear or hunting strategy, to improve, perfect, and fine-tune our mobile run-and-gun hunting approach. All right, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by First Light. I've got Greg Godfrey with me here on the show today. He's one of the co-founders of Tethered. That's a mobile hunting company, a saddle hunting company. Uh, But we're not talking about products. We're not talking about his company, really. We're not going to do any big product plugs. Don't worry. If you're not a saddle guy, if you're not a Tethered guy, this episode is still for you. This podcast is all about Greg's experience over the decade plus that he's been diving deep into becoming a more mobile deer hunter, how to become a more effective deer hunter by moving around a lot, by using this kind of run and gun approach. Some people call it hang and bang, run and gun, mobile, whatever you want to call it. You can use a set of sticks and a mobile tree stand. You can use sticks and a saddle, Uh, a lot of options out there. And today we cover them all. We discuss different ways to fine-tune your equipment. We discuss different ways to fine-tune your process of getting set up in a tree, climbing a tree quieter, more efficiently. Uh, We talk about different things to think about when you're scouting out a property about to hunt it on a run-and-gun hunt. We talk about when to set up and when to keep looking. We talk about when to move and when to stick it out in the tree you're in uh, and all things in between. If you do any kind of hunting like this or if you have been hearing me talk about it or old Nine Fingers Johnson talk about it, or many, many of our guests talk about this kind of thing, but you've been kind of, eh, that sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like it wouldn't be a lot of fun. I kind of like sitting in my ladder stands or my pre-hung stands. Um, But at the same time, you've got this little voice in the back of your head that says, well, maybe I should check it out. Well, this is the episode to listen to to find out if, if you really should. And if you decide to take that plunge, we're going to give you the tools and ideas and, uh, you know, lessons learned to get that into action and get started. So I think this is one that a lot of people can benefit from with seasons either starting or very soon to start. You know, it's not too late to try something like this. You can go and 
get a little mobile tree stand and a set of sticks or a saddle and some sticks and, you know, spend a night or two out in the backyard, learn how to use this stuff and then go hunt. I remember the first time I used a saddle. Now I've been using sticks and mobile tree stands for many years before that. But the first time I got a saddle, I got it like three days before I was going to leave for a week long hunt. And in those three days, I got out into a tree a couple times and that was enough to feel comfortable and was able to have a successful hunt. So you can totally turn this around quickly. That said, I guess I should stop rambling, let you get into this one. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you find it valuable and stay tuned. There's much more to come on how I'm using this kind of hunting style because next week, uh, knock on wood, assuming there's been no weird things going on with technology or our game plan, uh, we'll be telling you about how my most recent public land whitetail hunt went in which I was using this kind of hunting approach using my saddle and sticks, as well as a buddy of mine doing the same thing to, to run and gun it on public land and try to kill a buck. So hopefully we'll have a success story for you describing exactly how this thing can work. And with that out of the way, I guess let's just get into it. All right, with me on the line today, we've got the one and only Greg Godfrey. Greg, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mark. It's been a while since we uh, had a had podcast chat. I know. I'm glad we get to do it. Uh, and I want to, I want to dive into a style of whitetail hunting that both you and I really like. Uh, and I know you have. I feel like I'm pretty heavy into it, but you're even heavier into it because not only is it seemingly your preferred way of hunting, it's also your career. You've built a company around this style of hunting. Uh, but what I want to try to do is I want you to take off your tethered uh i run a company that's a mobile hunting company i want to take off that hat and i want to put on your just i'm a diehard mobile hunter hat today and see if we can get into your mind and pull out every little stinking juicy bit of insight when it comes to how to be a more effective run and gun hunter or hang and bang hunter or mobile hunter or whatever you want to call it whether you use a saddle like you do or a lightweight mobile tree stand like a lot of people do. Um, I know that the things you're doing could apply to a lot of these styles. So that's the, that's the high level idea. Does this sound like it's in your wheelhouse? Piece of cake. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is how I want to start. Let's imagine that you and I were on a high school debate team. All right. I don't know if this is something I never actually was on a high school debate team. So I, I don't really know exactly what I'm imagining, but let's say we're standing up on a stage and there's two podiums. Uh, I, I don't know. Would you wear a bow tie? You might wear a bow tie. Um, and <laughs> let's, let's say we're up there and your, your job is to convince the judges and me. I'm on the opposite side. We'll say your job is to convince us of one thing. And that one thing I need you to convince us of is that the running gun approach to hunting whitetails is the best way to kill whitetails. And we're going to begin with an opening statement. You get to lay out your general argument. Uh, you're setting up the whole thing right here. What would your opening statement be? Wow. Putting me on the spot, bow tie and all. Okay, <laughs> I can do this. I have preached this... And I, I, this is not an original idea. I, I've, I've seen lots of whitetail hunters that I look up to over the past 20 years, 30 years, talk about the concept of first sit, best sit. And there's so much truth to that. Uh, 
in my hunting, I guess, career, if you want to call it, or as long as I've been hunting, the folks that I've hunted with, my friends, colleagues, there's something about being in a spot that's fresh, hasn't been pressured, especially when you're talking about a mature buck. Now, if we're talking any deer, young deer, does, that's a different story. But if we're talking mature buck, a deer that has lived through several seasons in highly pressured states like Michigan and the southeast where I hunt, he has more than likely been shot at and maybe even wounded. Those deer are a different animal. And to get into his home turf the first time without giving him any notice that you're there, that I think, in my opinion, is the biggest advantage any hunter can have and whether like you said that's a tree stand a set it doesn't matter we're not even talking about gear we're just talking about location and being in that spot where you believe he is without disturbing it in a prior event to me that is the number one thing and there's lots of folks that preach that Eber Hart and john and uh, dan and fault rather and uh, you know our friend andy may lots of people i could name i could name 50 people that believe in that that concept to me that's the number one thing First sit, best sit. And the more often you go into an area, the more you contaminate it and the more you alert a mature buck that he's being hunted. Well, that sounds all well and good, Greg. Uh, <laughs> now I'm, I'm the opposing uh, viewpoint here. That, all, that sounds okay. great, but going in and hunting a new place all the time like this, that sounds like a lot of added inconvenience. That sounds like a pain in the butt. That sounds like a ton of work. Uh, my deer hunting is supposed to be fun. This is my time to relax and enjoy myself. Why would I want to go in and set up a stand in sticks or something every single darn time? That sounds miserable. What do you say to that? It is. <laughs> it is. It's not fun all the time, especially when you consider that nine out of ten hunts, you're going to come home empty-handed. It's not fun. That's why I, I made the distinction in the in my opening argument that we're talking about trying to hunt a trophy mature buck. Now, if you're just trying to have fun and you want to see deer and you want to shoot, you know, a doe, you know, if you don't if if size of animal or age of animal isn't isn't important to you, uh, which I'm not making a judgment call on whether that should be or not, just different types of hunters care about different things. I don't think that that guy is probably going to hunt mobile for very long because it is, especially early season. It's hot. It's buggy. It's a pain to do it. It's annoying to, to, uh, climb up and down a tree that hasn't been prepped. So you're taking your sticks in and out with you and you're hanging your, your tree stand or your saddle on every single hunt. Yeah, it is a pain in the butt. So, uh, I don't know that I would recommend that style for someone that just wants to go out and see deer. Now, the flip side is if you do hunt that way, you will see, you know, I think, I believe more deer, but it's a different system. And I, 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 uh, I think that it's best suited to hunting a, a mature animal. Okay. Let me keep the challenges coming. I, I actually am the kind of hunter, Greg, who does want to kill mature deer. I'm diehard. I love this stuff and I'm willing to take some of the some of the crap that comes along with it, okay? But here's the problem. I'm all about, you know, really focusing in on the details, and I know that deer have a tremendous security system built into their ears, their eyes, and their nose. 
And when I hear you talking about going in and setting up in a new place every day or so often to get all these first sits, it sounds like that's a lot of noise. It sounds like that's a lot of commotion. It sounds like you're walking around a lot. And that makes me think that you're spooking deer. I don't want to spook deer. I want to have my stuff set up seven months ahead of time so I don't make a single sound. Uh, what do you tell me about that? I would say if you have the ability to do that, it's a, it's a absolutely phenomenal option. Um, one of my mentors uh, in hunting is John Eberhart, and that's pretty much the way he has killed. I'll butcher his stats, but something like 50 record book bucks in the most heavily pressured state in the country of Michigan. And that's his entire tactic. He goes in in the spring. He he identifies sign. He uses his historical knowledge of the area and where he's encountered bucks in the past. And he preps all of those spots well in advance. And then he doesn't go in there again until it's time to kill. He's very surgical about it. And if you are the if you have access to the type of land where you can do that, maybe your public land, you're allowed to leave stuff in the in the trees uh, for you know an entire season. Or you have access to private land where you can set up a tree in advance. I think that's a phenomenal, phenomenal tactic. The the where people get caught up is they'll go in and they'll set up one or two spots and then they're just committed to that. That I think is a is a terrible option um, if you can at all avoid it because these deer they they get accustomed to it. Everybody knows that when you're uh, to you know hunting the back forty, you know not not uh-huh. necessarily your show, Mark, but just <laughs> in general the back forty. Uh, it's a, it's a thing, you know, I talk to hunters all the time, all around the country. And they say, you know, I used to hunt the back 40 at grandpa's farm and we had an old oak tree with a stand that's been there for 20 years. And, you know, we don't ever see any big bucks, but we see a lot of deer. Well, that's pretty common, right? Cause the deer, they know it's there and they're used to it. So I think that type of hunter, even if you, even if you, um, or rather if you have access to land where you can do that, I think it's, I think it's phenomenal. I, I used to be on a lease here in Georgia and I had about 10 spots set up and I would only hunt each of them maybe twice a season. I would just bounce around to the right spot. So if you can, absolutely do it. You're quieter. It's faster. You're not going to get as sweaty. Uh, I think it's, I think it's fantastic. As long as you still keep that idea of, of mobile and bouncing around as opposed to I'm going to sit the same tree every time. And if I sit there long enough, I'm going to kill a big buck, which they obviously happens, but I don't think the odds are in your favor. The more time you hunt, a, hunt a tree. What if I can't do that? So what if I don't have the places to, to have 25 different places pre-prepped, uh, but I still want to try to take advantage of some of the things you're saying so I do have to go in every time. You're telling me I can do it without scaring every deer in the county? I'm telling you, you can. I think that that is the more typical guy, right? I think most guys are hunting public land or small parcels and of private land, and and I I could I could list you know five or ten hunters that are very successful in doing that. Uh, one of one of another one of my. Um, mentors is is dan infall you've had on the show many times and a lot of people understand his tactics but that's that's exactly what he's doing he's not necessarily hunting a new spot every time a lot of the places he's hunting he has historical data to support that there is a an animal there right so he's hunting spots that that he's killed bucks in in previous years and that he's had encounters with in previous years so it's not always it doesn't always have to be a brand new spot, but it might be a spot that you hadn't been in for two years or 
that it's just, you know, maybe you've only hunted it in September and now it's mid-November, so it's been six, eight weeks and there's been no pressure there. So I think it's very doable. And I do that on public land all around the country, uh, bounce around and sometimes I'll hunt the same spot twice, but as much as I can, I like to, I like to keep it fresh. All right. I'm convinced, Craig, you, uh, you, you've changed my mind. Um, all right. <laughs> no, I, I did, the, did the, be honest though, Mark, did the bow tie help? The bow tie was actually the best thing you had going for you. So if, if you didn't have that, this might've turned out differently, but that definitely was the edge that, uh, gave me, the rationale to just give you a break and, and trust you on this one. <laughs> uh, I think you look smart for a bow tie, so it's a good fashion choice. Yeah, that's that's what I think too. So uh, you you made it through debate uh, debate class here, and uh, of course, I agree with all the same things you're talking about. I love this way of hunting. I think it's super effective. Uh, but I do think that there are a lot of people that have these hangups. A lot of people worry about the noise and the challenge and the extra work, or they worry about not having preset access trails or pre-hung sticks or pre-cut shooting lanes. And there's, there's all these possible hiccups that I think keep people from trying this, or, you know, maybe people do try it, but after trying it a couple times, they're like, ah, this is just too much. Um, so what I want to try to do here now is to break down all those barriers talk through all these different challenges and how you've kind of pushed through them, how you've perfected your system or your setup or your thought process. Uh, Cause I know you've, you've been fine tuning this. You've been dialing this in for a long time. I mean, before tethered, you were still doing this kind of stuff. Uh, and now of course you're doing it with a whole bunch of people that are really good at this in addition to yourself. So you're seeing all sorts of new ideas from people both on your team and customers and you know, the, all the hunters that we run in the same circles with that are, you know, giving us new ideas to try. So that's, that's where I want to go next. And I want to get into details first of kind of your setup. Cause that's like step one, right? Is having the right equipment and, and stuff to get out there and use. Uh, now, you know, like I said, full disclaimer, you make a lot of this kind of gear. So as best as possible, let's try to talk generically enough that we this could be applicable to anyone, whether they're a stand or a saddle guy. But you know, we can dive into each as appropriate. But but first talk to me about this. Let's walk through the the details of the the qualities that you need in your mobile setup. So I think everyone listening knows oh, I need some kind of sticks probably and I need a stand or a saddle, right? Uh, but give me like the nitty gritty, like to perfect a really great mobile system. What are the things that you need to be thinking about when picking each of those things? And then also the second part will be once we have our basics, how have you gone about or how have some of the best people you know gone about modifying to make those things even better? Well, I like this topic. This is kind of right in my wheelhouse. Uh, I don't claim to be the world's greatest hunter. I don't claim to be a big buck killer like some of the folks that we've talked about previously, like Eberhardt or Infault or Andy May or some of those other guys. They're they're way better at killing big bucks than me. I think my niche is helping hunters think about gear, think about tools, think about the the way in which those things, the gear and the tools that they use, can support the tactic of being a mobile hunter. So, first of all, you really need to think about 
what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And then you need to tailor your tools to that goal. If you're trying to kill meat for the freezer, I would say you don't need to spend a bunch of money on really super quiet, really high-end, really well-thought-out gear. I think you can get away with, with you know much more middle-of-the-road solutions. If that's not your goal, if your goal is to kill a big, mature buck, I think you need to put the resources, both financial resources and resources of your time by way of practicing, thinking through your gear, and really coming up with a system that is repeatable and perfectible, right? In the in the Army, uh, I was active duty for 10 years, and we used to say, you know, you don't train until you get it right. You train until you can't get it wrong. And this is something that is very, very important with uh, your mobile hunting setup. You want to have it so dialed where everything is always in the right place. You pack it up and you pack it away the same way every time so you're not losing your gear. So when you're at the tree, you're not fumbling around for the next item, which can, you know, it can cause you to get, it can cause you, it can cause anxiety. You know, oh, you know, crap, what did I do with my release? You don't want that in the woods. You want to focus on what you're doing. You want to be, you want to focus on being quiet being stealthy and slipping in and out of the woods without alerting anything you're there, uh, or, or without alerting any deer that you're there. So I would say the first thing that you need to do is to think about what your goals are and then tailor your system around that. Okay. So that's, that's let, let's, let's then assume my goals. So, Let's say my goal is, which which it is, is you know going on these public land hunts or private stuff that I do hunt. And depending on where I'm at, you know, three and a half, four and a half year old buck is what I'm going for. So I want to kill a what's mature for the area, uh, and I'm going to go out for it hard. In that kind of case, I'm willing to spend the extra money. I'm willing to try to perfect my system. Uh, walk me through. Let's let's talk ascent first, right? Walk me through some of the things you're thinking about when selecting the right kind of stick setup. You know, there's there's length, there's weight, there's double there's double step, one step, there's ropes, there's straps, there's stealth strips. There, you know, there's so many different things to think about. Um, can you just walk me through some of the general types of things to be thinking about? Though reasons why one thing might be better than the other and and any details on that front so we can kind of nail down a way people can think through choosing the right ascent system? Yes, that's a great question. And what's cool about 2021 when we're having this discussion is that in the last five years, there has been an absolute boom in high-quality products tailored specifically to this, this style of hunting, which is awesome. I mean, 10 years ago, you'd have had to fabricate your own stuff. Now – you can look at five or six different companies and they all make awesome products. So that's really cool. There's lots of options now. What I think about for me, this is going to vary widely for, for different folks. I care about weight, bulk, and noise when I'm talking a climbing system. And weight, bulk, and noise are the very first things that I consider. After that, it's going to be ease of use and installation. I don't want to have to deal with heavy, bulky items climbing a tree. Um, I think it's it can cause safety concerns if you're you know, lugging up heavy stuff. If it's not well-designed and simple, 
as far as like an attachment method, there's lots of different attachment methods out there. Like, I mean, you got daisy chains, you got rope methods, you've got Dynalock systems, you've got buckle and, and strap systems. There's all kinds of different systems. I prefer simplicity, simple, quiet noise, right? So I like a rope system. Uh, there's several different versions out there. I like something that I can just loop around and, and nod it off. To me, that's way more simple than having a buckle with a web, like a webbing strap. I think when you have heavy buckles, they, they can introduce noise. They're much more fiddly in the tree. So I like a stick that has a rope style attachment, and there are several good options out there. I also like a stick that has a double step. I will not use any climbing stick that doesn't have a double step. And for me, the reason why that's important to me one for safety. I feel like I'm safer when I have both feet at the same level on the tree. Uh, and two, I use aiders in my climbing system. Uh, for those that don't know, a, an aider is basically a, a webbing ladder, for lack of a better terms or, or lack of a better description. It's borrowed from the mountain climbing industry. They're called big wall aiders and uh, climbing etriers. But it, it's basically a, a mountain climbing product that that hunters have poured it over to to here to make us a little bit lighter. So to me, that's a very important because I'm only five foot seven. So if I just carried sticks, I'd have to carry six of them to get up to 20 foot high. And I'm just not willing to do that. So I use aiders in, in my climbing system. And because of that, I need a dual step. So there's lots of reasons why I like a dual step, mostly safety and it, it allows me to get maximum height out of each climbing stick uh beyond that then you know after you've got a simple easy to use lightweight stick i you know i think there's lots of good options and length for me i'm a short guy so i like a short stick if you're mark kenyon and you're over six feet tall you could get a long stick and then you get you get more height you know it's 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 really just a personal preference thing at that point in time but the other thing for me is I'm only going to carry three. So I have gone through probably every stick on the market and with with the goal in mind of creating a system that I can get to 20 feet. That's my standard. If I can't get to 20 feet, it's not good enough. So I have to get to 20 feet and I can only do it with three sticks. Now, a tall guy like you, Mark, it's a lot easier for you. It's harder for me. So I've had to be really selective about my gear and what I have settled on is a, a climbing stick that's about 20 inches tall that has a double step at the bottom and the top. And then it has a system of aiders, either that you move up with you or that is on each step. That's what works for me. Doesn't work for everyone. But that's what that's what I did for my system to get to that magical 20 foot number with only three sticks. Yeah. And and that's you make a good point in pointing out the difference in height. Like if you can do that at your height, uh, you know. That certainly seems achievable for folks that might be a little bit taller than that, too. Um, tell, tell me a little more detail about how you're using your aider or aiders. I'm not sure if you use multiple, if you've got, you know, I know some people have one on every stick. Some people just have one, you know, multi-step aider that they'll use on their bottom stick, and that's just it. Or people will take it and move it up each stick as they go. What's the most efficient, safe, effective method you found for doing that? And I think... The detail here, I think, is pretty important because I think aiders get talked about as like this this term that's floated. But then, if you're not, if you haven't actually used one yourself or actually seen it being used, it sounds a little bit 
ambiguous and I think intimidating sometimes for people. So give me the full scoop on what you're doing with that these days. Okay. That's a good question. And you're right. It, it, it can get for the for the uninitiated, it can be quite overwhelming. So first of all, I'm going to say there's two categories of aiders. There is a carry-as-you-go aider, and there is a fixed aider. So your fixed aider is something that is permanently attached to your climbing stick. So maybe it's a it's a wire aider that some companies make, or maybe it's a webbing ladder style aider that I prefer. But regardless of what style it is, it's fixed to your step. It doesn't come on and off. That is a fixed aider. The other op- the other option which I use is is a carry as you go aider. So that would be one aider that you attach to the stick. You use it to climb, and then as you're standing on the stick, you remove the aider and carry it up with you to the next stick. Now the there's pros and cons to each method, right? Uh, weight and bulk is is something that's very very important to me so i choose to go with a carry as you go aider because it's less weight and it's less bulk the downside is it's harder to use you can imagine a fixed aider if you had three climbing sticks on attached to a tree and each one of them had you know two or three steps webbing steps hanging down from them that's much easier to deal with in the tree the carry as you go option you save some weight you save some bulk but you pay the price and ease of use so something to think about there. Now, you also have to be pretty realistic with, with yourself. If you're not an athletic guy, if you're maybe overweight uh, or you're, uh, you know, you got a little bit of junk in the trunk, <laughs> you really need to consider if the aider method is right for you. Because, I mean, I'm not going to lie, it does introduce an element of of risk in into the climb it's it's not a fixed metal item it's a webbing or or you know a movable item that can shift on you much easier than a climbing stick can shift so it takes practice and and it also requires you know an element of risk that you have to be okay with so that's the two main categories of aiders uh carry as you go take it up with you as you climb or a fixed aider that you you attach on every stick. What I find, if I had to say, I would say my method, a carry-as-you-go multi-step aider, because I use four steps. Of, there's four rungs in the ladder on my aider. Yep. And again, that's probably as risky as it gets, and I'm, and I'm taking it up as I go. So it's not something that I recommend for people that are, are new to this. What is probably, if you want to dip your toes into the aider game, which I highly recommend it because it saves you a ton of uh, it can, well, first of all, it saves you money. You don't have to buy six steps anymore. You can just buy three and use your aiders. But a fixed aider, specifically on your very first stick, that's a really safe option for guys. You know, And now instead of getting three feet off the ground from your first stick, now you can get six or seven feet off the ground in your very first move, which is, which is a big deal. And then you know, maybe a single step aider, fixed aider on each stick, that's – that's not terribly risky. It's pretty safe. I've used those before, and I would say most hunters out there are going to feel perfectly comfortable with that. And then as your risk tolerance goes up, I would say you could consider adding multi-steps to your to your sticks and then maybe something that you carry up with you. But it's not something you want to do in the dark on your first hunt. This is something where you need to set it up in the backyard, 
you need to learn your system and you need to make sure you can do it in the dark and you're very comfortable with it. Don't just go out and, and try it on your first hunt. The other thing that's very, very important with aiders is if you're using a saddle system, you're going to have a lineman belt system built into that. So that's good. It's absolutely a must have. If you're a tree stand guy, I, I'm sorry, but you also need to have your safety harness on so you can <laughs> use that lineman belt. Okay. It's very safe, uh, very, very important for safety. And it's also very important for just having both hands free to attach your next stick. It just makes everything easier. So Make sure when you're doing this, you're you're using either a saddle system or a safety harness. Yeah, great, great point. Uh, and I'll second something you mentioned about that kind of intro to aider kind of first step, that being use it on your bottom stick. Yeah, that's that's what I do. I, I've got a four-step web aider that I will just attach to my bottom step, and that allows me to put that bottom step really high, and then I can climb up the webbing to get to that. And so I basically have the equivalent of at least one extra stick, maybe a stick and a half of extra length that I get out of that four-step webbing. And then I get to my main stick, and then I put my two sticks up, one of which has a fixed one-step aider. Um, and never do I feel uncomfortable because, yes, like you mentioned, the aider is a different thing, right? It's a different level of stability, not as stable as a real stick. But if you're doing that when you're only two feet off the ground, you know, the downside of swinging off the side or something is, is super minimal. Um which brings me to the last thing I'd mention when it comes to using aiders. Um, one like technique thing I found when you're putting your feet in those aiders is, and I'm curious if you do this or if you found any other trick to just doing it in a way that keeps you stable, but I always put my foot through the webbing, so into the step, and then press my toe against the tree and use that to stabilize you. If you were to just put your foot in that webbing but then let it you know, be on either side of the tree, you can get swung. Uh, and, you know, if your stick's not attached well, you know, it could even possibly pull your stick. So make sure, at least with, with the things I've used, I always make sure to put my foot through, put my toe against that tree, holding myself in position on the tree. And then that keeps everything straight underneath the sticks, keeps you stable. And then you keep stepping up. Is that similar to what you do, Greg? 100%. You nailed it. Bury that toe into the tree as dead center in the tree as possible. And then, you also want to get that webbing, let's call it a rung, the rung of the ladder, because that's easy to visualize. Yeah, that's you want to get that term. rung as deep into your boot as possible, right? If the if the rung is way up close to your toe, it's going to lend to swinging around and it's not going to be as stable. But if you can get that rung deeper towards the heel of your boot, it's yeah. going to be way more stable and you're not going to feel you're not going to feel uncomfortable at all. Um, so that's very important. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription, and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds 
to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash eater and use promo code MEATEATER. That's promo code MEATEATER at urgentcarekit.com slash eater. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear what I like to do on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, which gives you great smoke at 180 degrees, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees, it's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. This this, this is my way of bull saying. If I was going to cook roast one way, that's how I like to do it. Sear roast. Utilize the smoke boost setting to intensify that smoky flavor. Direct flame cooking creates searing, crisping, and browning. Food's going to look as good as it tastes. This grill gets hot in 15 minutes. Cleanup is easy. Cook confidently with intuitive digital controls at the grill. And enjoy the sleek, easy-to-use surface. You can also add a heavy-duty rotisserie or rust-resistant griddle insert to up your game. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. So where do you stand on the batshit crazy notion of one-sticking? <laughs> yeah. You know, I got to be careful with this because some of my best friends in the world love it. And <laughs> it's really caught on recently. And, yeah. you know, it, it when you hear – so here's the thing. When you watch someone that's really good at it, and I can think of two people off the top of my head. Carl Kasuth, who is the Michael Jordan of sewing, um, he is really good at it. And then my friend Garrett Prawl, the DIY sportsman mm-hmm. on YouTube. He is really good at it. And when you watch those guys do it who have their system dialed in, it makes you believe it, that this is really a thing and that you can do it. Now, I've tried it. I've I've hunted that way. I've done it in the backyard a whole bunch. I don't really care for it personally, but I'm not going to knock it because I've hunted with Carl in North – actually, North Dakota last year. I was climbing sticks. I had three sticks with an aider that I moved up. I carry as you go aider. I took it up with me as I climbed. And Carl used his one stick method. He was just as fast as me going up the tree. And he was probably about 40% faster coming down the tree because he was able to rappel down and he didn't have to worry about wrapping up sticks. So... I think some when you when you see it the first time, you're uh, a, a hunter is going to think, "Man, that's really slow. Man, that looks really wonky." Or, "Man, that looks like a lot of effort. I'm going to get super sweaty." And I would say, "Yes, that's true in the beginning." But if you if you really value lightweight and a bulk free climbing system, 
it absolutely can be done. And if you're willing to put in some time in the backyard and really dial in your system, I promise you, you can be just as fast and just as efficient as any other climbing method out there. And I've, <clears throat> I've seen it firsthand. So I'm not just blowing smoke. And and I don't choose to use that method. So I have nothing to, to gain from it. So it, it is a vi- it's a viable method. You really can do it, but you have to be willing to put in some work. I think it requires more work than a traditional climbing stick and an aider system. Yeah, it's, it's definitely intriguing. You know, I've watched the videos, seeing people do it, and I'm like, okay, like I see it could happen, it could work, and I like the idea of only taking one stick, um, but I don't know if I'm there quite yet. So, well, so. so it also, for so tall guy like you, Mark, it would be phenomenal. You could do like three moves and be at 20, 20 feet. Yeah. Now me at five foot seven, I probably have to do five moves to get up that high. So being again, being tall is an advantage, you know, screw me here. But (laughs) the other benefit, so I'll use Carl again, because he's probably the most efficient one stick climber I've ever seen. Carl's entire kit from his, he uses a saddle, so no, no tree stand, but with his saddle, his platform, his ropes, his one stick, his repelling gear, everything, he's at like eight pounds, and it all fits on his hip, and he can climb any tree in the woods that he can get his ropes around. That's pretty significant. If you're a guy that goes really deep, or you're crossing water, or you have to, you hunting the mountains where you're going up and down, and you're you're covering a lot of elevation, it's something that you should really consider, because you could cut your entire weight by you know two thirds at least. So there is a lot of merit to it if you're willing to put in the effort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I'm, I'm gonna keep on exploring it. I'm probably gonna try it at some point, see how it goes, and we'll see. But uh, let's somewhere in Michigan, I'll get Carl. I will. We'll come up and we'll hang out with you in Michigan, and I'll yeah. get Carl to show you the ropes and. I mean, he'll probably he'll probably make a believer out of you. I I, I probably I can't doubt it because every time I find myself thinking, ah, I don't know about that thing. As soon as I finally try it, when it comes to anything mobile, every time I finally give it a shot, I'm like, oh yeah, of course I should do that. So, so yeah. And to 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 piggyback on that point, you've been a saddle hunter now for a couple of years now, and I know you four, still hunt a tree stand. Yeah, so I got to imagine that you probably had the same resistance or uh, hesitation when you started seeing saddles you were probably like eh, man I, yes. you know i don't know so i would say that it's probably akin to the same thing yeah you know, there's going to be resistance and hesitation but it, it, it really is once you try it and get used to it it's a it's a viable system yeah yeah and, and you're right that's exactly how i felt for a long time and then once i finally tried it I thought to myself, what an idiot. You could have been doing this for five or 10 years longer. Uh, so Yeah, I just you know. got 20 pounds of metal out of my setup. Yeah, I don't know how you can argue against that. <laughs> so it's been uh, it's been good for me. Uh, I know for a lot of guys. But uh, let's let's take the next step in our process. If we've we've spent a lot of time talking about the right gear for your scent. But then there's something to be said about having the right process for getting up in the tree. And this is something everyone has a little bit different way of doing it. Um, I know that you saw the video I posted recently kind of highlighting the basic approach that I take. Um, but this is one of those things that, you know, some people, again, struggle with when they're thinking about the fact they've got to put these sticks up every time and haul up their tree stand or haul up their saddle and their backpack and their bow and yada, yada, yada. 
Um, I remember when I first started hunting with a mobile tree stand and I did not have a thought through process. I used to climb up and down the tree like three times because I climbed down, get some stuff, put the first stick or second stick. Then I climb back down, get my bow or whatever. I'd have a really heavy backpack. So I wouldn't want to be in the tree, you know, climbing with that. So I come all the way down and get my backpack and it was just inefficient as all get out. Uh, it's a much better system I have now, but I'm curious about your process now, because again, you've been doing this as long as anyone almost, um, what does your process of getting everything into the tree look like? Like, where do you hang your sticks on your body? How do you, what do you use to bring your bow up? Uh, where's your platform? Yada, yada, yada. Give me the detailed specifics on that front. Cause it's, I know it's a fine tuned system now. It is a finely tuned system and I've been working on it for about a decade and I, I, I pretty much have it nailed. And your video that I saw on YouTube was absolutely phenomenal. You pretty much covered everything that someone needs to know as far as what you should be thinking about. Um, as far as, I guess, let's first let's talk about it conceptually, um, if I can be a nerd here for a moment. But Please you know, there's a lot of truth to the cliche or the saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, right? Mm-hmm. So you would be amazed I guess I have this conversation with hunters all the time and we help them lighten their loads and think about their gear more efficiently. So I know this is true that if, if a hunter will go out with their system in the backyard or on their nearest piece of public land and just spend half an hour going through it and really thinking about the, the process and each step of the, the climb for themselves and then think through how they can make it better. You can really dial in your system in just a couple of uh, just a couple of tries. It's not that complicated. It's just about putting the effort in ahead of time, looking for that ounce of prevention, and it'll pay big dividends on the back end. So I tell people that all the time. Please go out in your backyard and practice this stuff because you'll be amazed at the things that you'll be able to solve. But to get into my system. Uh, so we already talked about sticks. So I use three climbing sticks and I use an aider on each stick and that goes up with me. So now I'm at the tree. I've got my bow. I've got my sticks. I normally, depending on the hunt, I will carry my bow in my right hand and I'll carry my climbing sticks in my left hand. And that's how I walk to the tree. Now, if I have, if I have to cross a creek or if I've got a long walk and, or I got to climb hills and it's going to be, you know, sweaty or something, I'll generally strap the sticks to the back of my pack but what i want to do and the reason why i carry my bow in my hand and my sticks in my hand is because when i get to the tree i don't want to have to take off my pack i don't want to have to fiddle with my gear i want to have it all ready to go so i literally find the tree and i immediately start climbing so when i'm looking at the tree i found it it's in the right spot it's a beautiful oak tree that's dropping acorns and there's five scrapes within 20 yards. I'm like, okay, this is a spot. This is the tree. I put my bow down and I start attaching my sticks. The first stick goes on at ground level and the other two sticks get hooked onto my saddle. Uh, How do you attach them to your saddle? I have a, um, uh, a loop of paracord and I basically just loop it around the stick or I use a rubber gear tie and and tie it around the six. I can't remember what's on my saddle now, 
but I, I think it's a gear tie right now. But there's lots of ways you can do it. You don't have to spend money. It doesn't have to be complicated. You're just connecting your – and there's even some some commercial products uh, out there that you can use for that. So there's lots of ways to do it. But essentially, I just attach my, my next two sticks onto my hip, and they're going up with me so I don't leave anything on the ground. For my bow pull-up rope, that's the next thing that I do is I attach my, my bow rope to my bow so I don't forget it. Uh, I just use a length of, I use 30 foot of, of 550 cord, paracord, nothing fancy. Another good option that I know a lot of folks use is the, uh, a Doyle's hunting hoist, or there's maybe another brand. I'm, I'm not totally sure, but basically it's a self retracting cord. So yeah. after you pull your bulb, you can release it and then the cord comes up. You don't have to wrap it up. I use 550 cord, um, simple. So now my bow is attached to my saddle. I've got two climbing sticks on my hip. My platform is on my back in my backpack um, on the outside of it. So it's easy access. I don't have to dig through my pack to get at it. And I have one climbing stick on a tree with an aider. I climb the first stick. I put my lineman belt around the tree and connect it to my saddle or your safety harness if you're a tree stand guy so you're safe. Um, and then I just pop off the next stick and attach it and up I go. That goes all the way to hunting height. And when I'm at hunting height, that magical 20-ish feet for me, uh, attach my platform, which is super easy because it's it's on the backside of my – I basically just reach behind my back and pull it up. I don't have to do anything special. I attach that, climb up onto my platform, get all tied in so I'm safe, pull my bow up, and hang it on my either my hook or my gear strap or whatever it is that I'm going to use. So my system is super, super simple. I also like to keep all of the necessary safety items on my saddle. So uh, we call them sis haulers, and they're just little pouches that live on your saddle. But there's lots of things you can get. You can make your own. You can buy military surplus. There's lots of companies that make them. So that's a really easy thing to find. But I like to make sure that all of the things that I need for a hunt, they live right on my saddle. So my two ropes, my tether, and my lineman belt live on my left hip. And then my aider, my carry-as-you-go aider, and my gear strap, that lives on my right hip. And my bow rope is con- is lives on my right hip as well, not in the pouch, but it lives separately, and it's always there. So I can't forget every- anything. I have everything that I need attached to my hips as I climb. I don't have to dig through my backpack. I don't have to fiddle in my pockets. I know where everything is, and it's simple. Then when I come down, everything goes back in exactly the same pocket in the opposite direction. So my gear strap comes off and goes in the bottom of my uh, bottom of my pouch and, and vice versa. Lineman belt comes on, attaches to the tree, and tether rope goes into the, into the pouch on my left hip. So it's right where it's supposed to be. Nothing goes in my pack ever. The only thing I carry in my packs are accessories and changeable things that I, that I might use on different hunts. Like if I need layers or rattling horns or whatever all that all the accessories live in my pack but the stuff that i absolutely must have that i can't hunt without they all live on my saddle and they're in the exact same spot every single time dialed absolutely dialed it's very dialed and i can do this uh very very quietly without making hardly any noise uh to about 20 feet in about 10 minutes that's taking my time. That's that's focusing on making slow, methodical movements. So I'm not waving my arms and acting crazy in the tree. So I'm going slow. I'm being very quiet, and I'm really focusing on what I'm doing. So I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to be unsafe, right? It's about 10 minutes. It's not about speed. That's not the point. I'm just just letting you know that it doesn't take that long to do this. It, you know, it doesn't take you 30 minutes to get set up. You can do it. If I was really hustling and I didn't care about noise, I could probably be set up in five, six minutes. It's super fast. Yeah. So I, I want to get into one last setup related thing. Um, and this is just like how you're actually set in the tree for the hunt. Um, and I know you're, you're obviously saddle hunting, so this is going to be a little bit saddle specific, uh, but maybe there's some things you can point out that might be relevant even for the stand folks. Um, and we did, I'll point out for anyone listening to this, I mentioned this at the very beginning in my introduction. I'll mention it again. Now, if you didn't listen to our ultimate saddle hunting roundtable that I did with Greg and John Eberhart and Ernie and Andy and, Oh, there might've been someone else in there too. Um, that was episode 295. We got into a lot of detail on these things with saddle specific setup. Um, so I, won't, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but, but real quick, if there's anything different now, Greg, that you've changed with how you're setting up your actual saddle setup when it gets to being in the tree and, or this is the part that I think's relevant to any, anyone is your accessory setup, like how you hang stuff, where you hang stuff. Um, I like how you've got this little custom bow hanger on the side of your bow. Now that might be something worth mentioning. Is there anything on that front that we just need to touch on before moving on um, when it comes to in the tree? Yes. Um, so first of all, I'm I I'm gonna I'm gonna plug a tethered product, but you don't have to buy it from me. But I'm gonna plug it because it's so super important. So about five or six years ago, before tethered was even a business. And I was just in the army, just hunting all over the country in the army. I made, I used to make these gear straps in my garage out of old ratchet straps. And now that has turned into a product called the Hiss Strap. But, and it's awesome. I think every, I think every public land hunter should use it. It's the best way to hang your gear, in my opinion. Low, no weight, no bulk, whatever. But you can make it. You don't have to buy it. You can, you can make it on your own. You know, I, I think I actually did a video on how to make it. So, you should everyone should look at that but it's it makes it makes your gear in your tree so incredibly easy uh the bow hook that you talked about that's another thing you can make it yourself i bought a um some kydex for those of you that don't know what kydex is it's a it's a it's a hard plastic that when you heat it up it's it's moldable and what it's typically used for is making custom gun holsters so you will mold the kydex around your gun and then you can make that into a holster well i make these little hooks and there is a video where i show it on the g2 outdoors youtube channel um on on how to make it it's essentially an upside down j and what i do is i attach that it looks like a candy cane and i attach that that candy cane or j hook or whatever you want to call it i attach it to my bow i attach it to my quiver and Mark, did I send you any of those? I don't think so. Okay, I'll send you a couple. I made a bunch of them like two weeks ago. Oh, nice. Uh, I actually I sent a couple to Giannis. He asked me for a couple, so I nice. sent him a couple. So I sent, I'll send you a few. But they're 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 stupid easy as far as attaching your bow. And I haven't found anything else in the world as easy as hang for hanging your bow and other other items as this little J hook. And I, I don't even know if you can buy it. Maybe somebody's made them. I don't know. I'm making myself, but uh, anyway, yeah, that's really cool system. I've used that for the last two years. I used to hang my bow on some commercial products. It's called the Clipter. 
or the hero clip, and it's basically a big hook. Uh, yeah. It's probably what you use, Mark. Yep. It's a big carabiner, essentially, and you just you put that on your gear strap or your a branch or whatever you have at hunting height, and that's how I'd hang my bow, and I've, I've, I've switched away from that, and I'm using these J-hooks, but uh, yeah, my system, as far as gear in the tree, is pretty simple. Uh, again, it's repeatable. I do it the exact same way every time. I'm a saddle guy, so my backpack gets hung on the right-hand side of the tree at about knee height. And then all of my accessories that I want, if I'm going to hang my binos or a grunt call or whatever, that kind of gets hung in front of me off of my gear strap, so I, I have it available. A lot of guys will keep that stuff in their pack and just kind of you know, sift through their pack if they need it. But, you know, that's kind of to each his own. They're not, not anything major um, to mention other than that J-hooker. That thing is really awesome. So check that out, and you can make it you can make it yourself, and it's not hard to do. Yeah, yeah, I like that, especially the fact that it's silent, right? There's no introduced metal. You've just got this plastic clip on your bow, and then you're just slipping into the loop on your gear strap versus, you know, taking the metal cam of your bow and possibly clinking that on a bow holder or something that's also made of metal. Um, so anytime you can remove metal out of the system, I'm a fan. Agreed. Uh, so let's let's get into the hunting element of the running gun approach because gear, obviously gear and setup is this huge kind of barrier to entry for a lot of people. But now let's say we've got our system in place. We have the basic elements of gear. And now we're actually going to start hunting this way. We're going to go pack in our stuff, find a new place to hunt, set up at the moment, and then, you know, repeat over and over again. Um Let's say it's the beginning of a hunt in a new place. We're traveling just like you are here soon to North Dakota, just soon as I am. And you're beginning a hunt with no pre-hung stands, right? It's all on your back and you're going to be figuring it out as you go. Talk to me about your day one thought process and you know actual actions you will typically take on day one of a running gun hunt like this what's that look like for greg godfrey okay so i've done that i really have two two methods that i use and and let me preface this answer with i do not claim to be the world's greatest uh big buck killer uh i feel like i'm much better uh, kind of gear is my thing for whatever reason I feel like i'm an expert in that arena when it comes to killing big giant bucks, there's way more successful people out there. But uh, I think it probably does help to get different opinions, right? Because nobody mm-hmm. nobody is the perfect hunter. So my opinion of being a very average deer big buck killer is I, I, I kind of use two methods. And I've been successful at both. So I guess it really depends on the area and how much time I have to hunt for to choose which one I'll do. Uh, two years ago... Uh, Two or three years ago in Missouri, me and my brother went to Missouri for the first time. Never hunted there out of state. And we hunted a big chunk of public land. We had we had seven or eight days to hunt. We had both taken time off work. We spent the first two days scouting. We we didn't really I don't think we hunted at all. I think we scouted all day and we may have possibly gone in and hunted in the afternoon. I can't remember. But regardless. The focus was scouting. We both had opportunities at mature bucks, and I killed one. That really paid off. 
I've also gone in and gone straight up run and gun and showed up to the area, put all the, you know, put everything, got my kit together on my back and gone in and just hang and hunt, found somewhere to hunt. And I've killed deer that way. So I don't know if there's one that's superior. I know that if I have multiple days to hunt, you know, call it, let's, let's say seven days is that, that magic number where I'll transition into spending a day or two just learning the area just scouting and that's not all just boots on the ground walking through the woods a lot of it is scouting access scouting where other people are scouting what uh where some maybe some private land that might give us an access maybe we knock on a door and try to get access to in a creative way to the land that we can hunt so it's not just walking through looking for rubs and scrapes that's not the only type of scouting i'm talking about i'm talking about an overarching get a lay of the land and really you only have to do this the first time you've been to an area the next the next year we went back we didn't do this we only you know we basically jumped right into hunting because now we had this bank of spots that we knew were good yeah so that's a method that you can take spend some time scouting i learned that from john eberhardt um and it has paid off for me no, what about the other one? The other one where you, you kind of rig up day one and you're going to kind of work your way in and I'm assuming kind of scout your way in until you find a spot that you want to hunt. Um, that's definitely something I've done too. And it introduces this tricky endeavor though where you've got everything you need to hunt anywhere. But you also have this, at least I do, as you work your way along, there's always the what's over the next hill question, right? What's around the next corner? It might be better just over there. And so I find myself finding sign or finding something or a good looking spot. And I'm like, well, this, this looks pretty good. This could work, but I really like the way that thing looked on the map or whatever. And so that's a challenge that I've certainly faced trying to figure out what's good enough to stop. What's not good enough. And I should keep going. Uh, when you are working your way in on a hunt like that, can you talk to me about your thought process and what is enough to stop and hunt right now versus, eh, I got to keep looking. That's a fantastic question. Normally, the first day I'm somewhere, I'm picking a terrain feature on a map or some sort of, maybe not necessarily terrain, but some sort of funnel, or I'm picking a spot on a map and I'm, I'm going there and there's not too much that's going to deter me, normally. Now, in, I have had instances where that didn't happen, and a perfect example is last year in North Dakota, I killed a buck. I was planning to walk three quarters of a mile into this public area and hunt this uh, thick river oxbow. And I found a stupid amount of sign right by my truck and I made the right call. I followed my gut and I hunted that spot and I killed a really big buck right by my truck. Matter of fact, I could see my truck 40 yards from the truck. So that that's hard to do for me. I think there are other hunters that are better at that. Uh, my friend Jared Schaefer, he's really good at finding sign like that and kind of altering his plans. I tend to be a planner. Maybe it's my military background where you plan and plan and then you follow the plan. But I tend to pick a spot on a map and I don't get deterred too much unless it's just unless you know it's idiot proof sign. Then in that regard, you know, even I can figure it out. But <laughs> I'm not real smart, so I just tend to stick to my plan. What What about your military background, or how has that helped with that planning? Like, what have you taken 
from that background and applied to your deer hunting, you know, your game plan for a public land hunt or for a given day, uh, does that translate in a big way? Absolutely. Absolutely. So as I was a, I was an officer in the military for 10 years in the army and primarily what an officer does in the army is plan. That's your, that's your primary objective in most jobs in the army as an officer, you're planning and you're typically planning with other people. So you're looking at a problem. doesn't matter what it is. You're looking at it from every possible angle, and then you're throwing scenarios back and forth uh, amongst your group, and then you're planning on how to solve that variable. And then another variable comes into it, and you're, plan- and you're learning how to plan on that variable. So I really think it, it, uh, it translates well into hunting new public land for me because, I, I mean, a lot of guys have this. I'm not saying I'm special, but I, I do feel like I can look at a piece of property and analyze it from – a lot of different angles and I've been very fortunate, lucky, blessed, whatever you want to call it to, to have that work out for me. Um, you know, the flip side is to that, the con, right? Cause there's pro and con to every system. The, the, the con to that is sometimes you can find yourself getting, you know, analysis paralysis and you can overthink things. And I can do that as well. Um, tends to not happen as much as, as I've gotten older and more experienced, but yeah, the, the, the planning side of the military, I think it tra- translates very well into specifically the run-and-gun mobile style of hunting where you have to figure out an area very quickly. Pay attention here because this is a hell of a good service. It's called the Wellness Company. Picture this, okay? You wake up, you got a scratchy throat, you're all congested, you got a runny nose, you got a cough, whatever. And you weigh your options like you tough it out, get sick, take time off work, try to get a doctor's appointment sometime in the next few months, wait two hours at urgent care and sit in a room full of six sick folks, or you open your medical emergency kit. You match your symptoms to the doctor-recommended prescription and you start on the right meds right away. These medical emergency kits, not a first aid kit, all right? It comes with doctor-prescribed meds to treat over 39 medical issues. So, on hand, strong antibiotics for infections of all types. Plus, a doctor's easy guide so you know exactly what to take and when. No waiting to see the doctor, no waiting at the pharmacy. It's all in there. Every home should have at least one medical emergency kit. Order yours online in minutes. Your kit will be rushed to your door. Get 15% off at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater and use promo code meat eater. That's promo code meat eater at urgentcarekit.com slash meat eater. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust Resistant griddle now this, this is a good innovation here and it solves a real problem okay so this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools like a griddle on your grill it's pre-seasoned with food safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box there's no use of coatings okay you can use metal tools to flip press and scrape without worry it's the griddle that stays ready not rusty now everything the problem with griddles everything rusts no one talks about how bad everything rusts. 
Uh, the reason they don't because they couldn't fix it until now. Well, Weber's new rust-resistant technology, your Weber grill will last for years. When used, the carbon steel griddle hardens and bonds the surface, reducing the ability for moisture to collect and rust to form. With the new Weber Works Prep Cook and Store System, you can keep cooking and cleaning supplies handy, carry food and condiments from the kitchen to the griddle, and even convert the side table into a prep station. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle. So speaking of analysis paralysis, I uh, I am frequently infected by that disease. And um, <laughs> one of the places, one of the situations where I find myself in that kind of moment and if people were to ever watch me in the woods, they would know that I'm in this situation when they see me stopped somewhere in the middle of the woods, looking up to the left and then looking to the right and then looking ahead of me, then walking three yards this way, then looking at my phone for about a minute and shaking my head, then looking back up to the left and looking to the right. And what I'm doing is trying to pick which damn tree I want to hunt because I found the spot, but I want to find the spot within the spot, the perfect tree for this general zone I'm hunting. Um, I think... You know, there's an art to this. Um, I'm curious what your thought process looks like when picking the tree. What are the most important criteria? What do you rank as the most important when you're looking at the different criteria? Um, and how do all the different things we just talked about when it comes to ascending a tree and having a good setup in the tree? How does all that impact what you pick as well? Uh, well, I, I mean, I don't think there's any mobile run and gun guy out there that doesn't it doesn't pick the tree in the same way. I mean, I do the same thing in a perfect world. You would get to your spot and there's a beautiful Oak tree with the perfect amount of cover. It's the right diameter. It's not leaning one way or the other. And it's <laughs> set up to where that scrape is 15 yards away. And you've got a ton of back cover. I mean, that just rarely happens. Right. Yeah. So you're thinking of, of all of these things and it, it, it can be difficult. I mean, you're thinking, okay, is the tree leaning one way or the other? Is that going to cause me to be uncomfortable or, or is it going to cause me to have to take a weird shot angle? Is it facing the right way? Am I going to be able to look the right way for the right wind? There's, you know, a thousand factors that come into picking the right tree. This is one of the reasons why I ended up changing over to a saddle system nothing against tree stands i'm not saying they don't work that's not the point i'm just saying for me personally the way i hunt i have found that in the in the mobile style of hunting that i can get into more trees more easily with the saddle hunting system and that's just me but i mean i'm you could have 10 other guests on here that would say the opposite that a tree stand is more easy to use. So I'm not really making a claim either way. It's just that for me, that's my opinion. That's what works best. And I found that it makes that, that decision a little bit easier because I typically will find two or three trees that will work. And then usually what I find in the, as the last criteria is, okay, well I can kill, I can hit the spot I want to hit with, you know, these three trees. So I'm going to pick the one that looks the most comfortable. And that's usually, I guess, the the final deciding criteria. You know, if I don't have to trim any limbs or one gives me a little bit more cover, uh, I'm going to I'm going to pick that one just because it's ease of use. But I wish there was a magic formula that I could give to to make picking a tree easier. But I find that I'm in the same exact boat as you and that I'm looking around and 
And then you're always second guessing yourself too, right? Oh, yeah. You start climbing up a tree and you're like, oh man, but look at that one. There's a <laughs> poplar over there that just looks perfect. Maybe I should get that one. And, uh-huh. you know, typically in, in me fashion, I typically just stick with my first choice. And, you know, most times you're right. You know, go with your gut. You're, I think, what, what do they say when you're taking like a standardized test that like most of the time your first guess is the right guess? Yeah. So maybe that, that translates into hunting, picking a tree as well. Yeah. You mentioned shooting lanes. What's your philosophy on shooting lanes? Do you, uh, I know there's some people, even on mobile hunts, where they, they just have to make sure they get a handful of good lanes and they'll, they'll do the extra work to do that. Uh, other guys are like, nope, I don't want to make an extra sound. I don't want to make a single extra movement. I'm just going to live with whatever the tree gives me and maybe just, you know, push something to the side right next to you in the tree or whatever. Um, and, and we're making an assumption that, Cutting shooting lanes is legal wherever you're hunting, right? Some public land spots you can't do that, but in the places that you can, what's your take? I tend to be the second guy. I tend to be the guy that doesn't want to make any noise. I don't want to break limbs. I, I don't want to cut lanes. I tend to be the guy that is willing to trade fewer shooting lanes for more cover and concealment. That's just me. Not saying I'm right. Um, that's what I do. Okay. I found myself getting that way more and more. Here's another challenge. If, you know, if, the, yeah. the flip side, John Eberhart, uh, sorry to interrupt, but John Eberhart's kind of the opposite, yeah. right? And he's one of my hunting mentors. He goes in preseason and he'll cut lanes to make sure he can shoot to every area as possible, you know, where it's legal. Um, and I think he does that even on a, on what does he call it? A freelance hunt. Um, yeah. he'll, he'll do the same thing. He'll cut lanes and he's way more successful than me. So I don't know that there's necessarily a right answer. I just tend to be a little bit more cautious when I'm getting in a tree and I don't want to make noise. Yeah. So if, if shooting lanes are one potential challenge with hunting mobile, right? Just having that balance between quiet and quick versus opening more shooting opportunities. Another potential challenge with the run and gun approach that I've found at least is that the flexibility that you have when you're running gun hunting has like an evil step brother side to it. So if the, if the angel on your shoulder of the running gun whitetail approach is the fact that you can have a first sit every day, you can see something you can move on it the next, you know, an hour later and be hunting in that spot, right? You can get where you got to go. That's the angel on one side. That's the, the beautiful side of this on the flip side is that that sometimes maybe can go too far. And you might find yourself jumping to this spot, to this spot, to this spot, to this spot, and then you're chasing your tail, and uh, maybe you've overdone it. Is is that something you've experienced? Is there something to that? Can you go too far with being mobile? Or do you think that, no, that's that's fine, go for it? What's your take there? No, I, I think that I can tend to fall into that category where I move too much. Um, that happened to me last year. I was hunting in Missouri, and I... I, I don't think I hunted the same tree twice and, you know, good or bad, you know, who's to say, but I think that I, I can fall into that trap of always thinking the grass is greener, right? I mean, you said it earlier, what's over the next hill, what's over the next hill. I'm the same way. And I always think that the grass is greener or the, the, the acorns are fatter in another part of the woods. And, uh, I think you have to find that balance, right? I mean, life is about finding balance in all things, and I don't, I don't know why that wouldn't apply to 
run and gun hunting. It, it, it should, you know, if you're in a spot and the sign is there and you sit at one time and you don't see a big buck, well, you know, maybe you should give it two or three more hunts. You know, there, there, I don't think there's any hard and fast rule where I would say would something that would a scenario that would make me think twice about moving is access. If there's a spot that I find and the access is bulletproof, you know, maybe I get to walk through a creek ditch where there's a very low probability of getting winded or the deer getting on my ground scent or, you know, whatever it is. If if access is there and it gives me an advantage, um, then I have no problem finding, you know, hunting that spot and, and kind of camping out on it because I feel like I'm not giving myself away to to a mature deer now if i have to walk through and i'm covering a lot of ground and there's lots of opportunities for the deer to scent me both my wind and and my ground scent then i'm probably gonna think yeah maybe it's maybe it's not worth a second try but those those unicorn places where you can get in and out of it uh undetected and the sign is there man those spots can just be dynamite yeah when you when you find that diamond in the rough sometimes you really gotta you gotta baby it and, and take advantage of it. I agree. I agree. Uh, I want to wrap it up with a final look at challenges here because there are some. Uh, and you you do these events all over the country now where you're meeting with people that are interested in saddles and mobile hunting. And so I think maybe more than almost anyone else out there, you've probably talked to more mobile hunters or aspiring mobile hunters than maybe anyone else. So my question for you is this, what is, or what are the biggest mistakes that you see people making when it comes to trying this approach to hunting? Like what's, what's the big one that we just got to fix that if more people did this right, or if more people didn't think this way or whatever it is, would make a whole lot of mobile hunters more effective. Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah, there is. And and I think it goes back to practice. I don't think hunters practice. Um, anything you want to be good at, you have to practice it. And uh, we talk to people all the time that even though we tell them not to do this, they buy their gear and they get it in the mail and they're jacked or they buy a tree stand and, you know, they buy somebody this awesome new ultralight tree stand and it's it's amazing and they go out and they hunt with it. And they don't go in their backyard and they don't nail down their system and they just go out and hunt. And then what happens is they get to the tree and it's a cluster, right? Because the ropes are in the wrong place and they don't have the straps attached to their sticks and the, they fold down the climbing or the tree stand and it bangs and it makes a bunch of noise. And they're like, this is BS, but it's not the gear's fault. And it's not, it's not that they had the wrong strategy. They didn't t- take the time to train themselves and to practice ahead of time. I fully believe that two 30-minute sessions in the backyard or on any piece of public land where it's legal, that can pay huge dividends when you're talking about a mobile run-and-gun setup. And I don't care if it's saddle, tree, st- I don't care what, what your gear is. If you go out and you spend some time, some effort, just like you go out and practice in your backyard with your bow, People shoot all summer long. They're dialing in their bow. But how many people take out their tree stand or their saddle and they make sure it's not making noise? They make sure to hit the the metal parts that are banging around with stealth strips or some other silencing material. How many people take the time 
to spray paint and knock off the really shiny areas. You have to pay attention to your gear, probably in this style of hunting more than any other style of hunting. You really have to pay attention to your gear. You have to dial it in, and you have to practice. There's just there's there's no other way to to get to the level of efficiency in order to to make this fun. Because if you don't, if you aren't efficient with it, and it's it's kind of a cluster, it's not going to be fun, and you're going to quit, and you're going to go on Facebook, and you're say Greg Godfrey and Mark Kenyon are full of it. They're liars. <laughs> they said I was going to kill big bucks. And all I did was make a bunch of noise and scare yeah. off every deer in the woods. Yeah. And it's not Greg and Mark's fault. It's your fault if you <laughs> didn't go and practice. Can't argue with that, man. I uh, I have been the victim of not practicing early on when I was trying this stuff. And uh, I learned very quickly that you got to do it. You got to get comfortable with it because it's always harder when you're actually out there in the field and you think there's deer 100 yards away or it's pitch black or whatever, like, always in the field it's harder to do uh so practice ahead of time so that it's as close to second nature as you can make it and you will you will never regret that time spent that's for sure oh 100 percent. we had a it was a, a thing commanders in the army used to always say they, you know their mantra was always train as you fight and what that means is to you know you put yourself in the most realistic scenario as you can and that's why the army does these big big exercises where everybody goes out they set up all their gear and they they go through scenarios and they try to make it as realistic as possible because when you're used to that and you're training like you would actually fight well when when the fight comes then it's second nature and it's much more easy to deal with it's the same way when you're learning a new tactic and a new strategy like mobile hunting if you'll go out there and you will practice just like you would be on november 1st and you've set up your gear and you know where your stuff is and you've got your system dialed down, I promise you, you're going to enjoy it a lot more. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great. Train as you fight. It brings to mind something like, I love these little mantras, little just sayings like that, that kind of distill really important reminders that you just need to kind of have in your head to just like trigger. Okay. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta remember to do this. Uh, for me, the last couple of years, it's been Slow is smooth, smooth is fast, because I have this tendency to always feel like I'm behind. I always feel like I need to rush to the next place. I'm always walking a million miles a minute, like everything I do. Uh, my buddies complain that I'm just like almost running everywhere I try to go. And that kind of filters into my hunting too, whether it's trying to get up, ascend the tree or trying to get set up in the tree or picking the tree or whatever it is. I always feel like, ah, I'm behind. Ah, I got to go faster. And so I need to remind myself. Slow is smooth, or sorry, smooth is, yeah, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. So just slow it down. If you slow it down, you actually end up making fewer mistakes. You actually end up going faster because you're not stumbling on yourself trying to rush through a process. So for me, that's become a little bit of a internal mantra of sorts through a lot of my run and gun hunts. I find myself saying that all the time. It's four in the morning. I'm worried about the sun going to come up too soon or whatever, and I'm not quite set up. And um, maybe it's not four. It'd probably be more like 630 or something, but I'll just be slow as smooth. So just like chill out, Mark. Just just keep doing the next step, next step. Don't worry. And that helps me. When, when you think 100%. of, do you find anything like that for yourself? Is there some kind of mantra you have or any kind of one-liner or or just anything like this that's with you on your hunts or as hunting season picks up that you take from your military background, maybe. Um, I don't know. Does any of this bring anything to mind for you? I, I, I use the same one. 
a hundred percent slow is smooth smooth is fast it's uh that's something we also talked about in the army specifically um you know when we're doing whatever it was lots of exercises when sergeants ncos and and would, would would repeat that mantra and i use the same exact mantra when i'm climbing the tree i just think to myself over and over again slow is smooth smooth is fast and it's 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 about safety it's about stealth it just really makes a big difference i use ex exactly the same thought process as you um I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I, I think through. Um, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything else, but I 100% use that. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, great minds. Great minds right there, Greg. We're on the same page. Um, <laughs> well, I, I got to tell you, being the co-founder of a mobile hunting company, you've done an amazing job of not being tempted to plug your own products throughout this entire thing, which I think a lot of people would think that would happen. Uh, so, so thank you for making this relevant and applicable to, to anyone, no matter what style of hunting they use, uh, or what products they choose to use. But all that said, we are going to wrap it up. I'd be remiss if I didn't give you a chance to, uh, to tell people where to go to learn more about the stuff that you actually build and put out for these types of hunters. So where can people go if they want to see the stuff that you actually use and recommend? Yeah, so uh, we started we started a company with a bunch of mobile hunters that we all met online in a forum. Believe it or not, uh, we started that about three years ago, and it's kind of it's taken off, and it's a, a whole thing now. But we're we're tethered nation, and we make the world's best saddle hunting gear. In my opinion, I'm I'm biased, but <laughs> there's a there's a lot of options out there now, which I kind of alluded to this earlier. Uh, the cool thing about since we've launched tethered, and you know some of the tree stand guys have taken that off. There is no better time in history to be to get into mobile hunting now or get into mobile hunting than right now because you have options. I don't care if you if you're talking saddles or tree stands or I don't care what it is. There's options now, something that we didn't have five years ago. So do your research. There's lots of great um, resources on YouTube and social media. Mark has a whole bunch of content that's awesome uh, talking about mobile hunting. I've got stuff on my channel. Tether's got stuff on their channel. So there's no reason not to be able to find the the best stuff that you possibly can. And, uh, you know, I happen to think our stuff is pretty great at Tether. I am a fan, too. I can't uh, I can't deny that. So, Greg, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing this uh, this insight. And uh, even though I've been doing this, you know, with a stand, I did it for probably the last 10 years and the last four years have been with a saddle. And I did do it more and more and more and more every year. It's uh, it's absolutely changed how I hunt. So I'm glad we get this chance to to dive into it specifically and hopefully help some people out. So uh, appreciate everything you're doing, Greg. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. And that is it. Thanks for listening. Like Greg mentioned, uh, there's lots of great options out there for this kind of equipment. But I certainly um, I certainly do love my tether stuff. So for whatever that's worth, they are one to check out. And otherwise, I would just encourage you again to give it a try. This is an effective way to go about things. It's not for everyone. Definitely not for everyone. But it might be worth a shot. It's worked for me. And uh, hopefully it's something you can find some value in as well. And with that, I think we will shut her down. We'll send you guys out with another best of luck salutation i suppose is what they call it and uh until next time stay wired to hunt
Hey, everybody knows Weber grills. I've been using Weber grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood pellet grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone, so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more.